0: let's begin with a word of prayer. Lord, we are grateful that you gave us your word. We're grateful that you gave us the book of Leviticus, one that we fear studying, one that we think is hard and that we don't get completely. But Lord, I thank you for the truths that we do see. I thank you for what you're teaching us. I thank you for what you want us to know. And I pray that you will impress on our hearts those things and that we will glorify you in what you are showing us. Um, Lord, show us and speak and use the words that you've given me, Lord, that if this is your message, they would be um, life to these ladies, that it would be truth. And, um, Father, you know that I have nothing that's worth being heard. It is your truth that matters. And I pray that you will um, speak to the hearts of these women in the area that you want to speak to them. In your name we pray. Amen. Priest... And public worship. Just another cultural study about Israel's rituals? I mean, what's in it for me? That's what I want to know. This week we, had, uh, we read lots about priests and the ordination ceremony of Aaron and his sons. We learned about the beginning of worship services in the tabernacle. And there was a lot of discussion about cultural ritual worship. But what's in it for me? We could talk about the garments that Moses put on Aaron, the differences between the high priest and the regular priest garments or robes. We could try to discern why the sash was made the way it was or where they put the Urim and the Thummim. And we might even labor over why they had to have a female goat sometimes or a male bull others. And many of those things have interesting discussion and some of them are important and symbolic. Well, what's in it for me? I think when we sit back five years from now after studying Leviticus, and I don't think five years from now when we're talking about what we learned, we'll be contemplating which offering was presented first or how often. I don't think we'll try to decide why uh, there were certain standards for the priest. Are they the same for us? I don't even think we'll be trying to figure out why they put blood on the right earlobe, thumb, and big toe. But I do think there are certain things that we will remember, the big takeaways. It sounds selfish. I want to know what's in it for me, this study of Leviticus. What's in it for me? But actually, I'm using that phrase as a kind of metaphor because I think God wants to know what's in it for us. What's in Leviticus? That's for us. And that's what we want to focus on, the things that we're supposed to take away practically relevant for us today because it is. There are points that we're supposed to to take away. I don't claim to know it all, but this week, studying these three chapters, I felt like there were three big points that we need to take away and remember. That's what's in it for us. So I'm going to spend my time on those three. And they're all about God. They're all about the way he thinks. What's in it for me? To know God better and know these three things about him. First of all, the biggest takeaway I saw this week is that God values public corporate worship. As we studied this week, we saw in chapter 8, verse 3, that Moses had been commanded to assemble all the congregation at the entrance of the tent of meeting. So that they could watch the ordination of Aaron and his sons as priests. They watched a million people. Well, maybe not all of them saw everything. But they watched or heard as Moses consecrated the tabernacle and all that was in it. And then Moses consecrated Aaron and then his sons. Aaron, who would be their spiritual leader, their high priest. And his sons consecrated next. All of this was done publicly. Why? Well, certainly it was God's way of assuring the Israelites that he had selected these men to be holy men of God, set apart for spiritual service. God is using this time in picture form, in the ritual form, to show that these men had been made holy in a ritual sense it would set a certain amount of respect on that office to which God had placed them. And certainly, this public time of worship together was to show them that, that these were the men God had selected to represent them. Then we come to chapter 9. It has been a week. And Aaron and his sons have not left the tabernacle. And on the eighth day, once again, the people are gathered for the first official service at the tabernacle where the priest will begin their public ministry. Why did they have to gather publicly? Let's look at chapter 9 and read the first six verses and see what we learn. On the eighth day, Moses summoned Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel. He said to Aaron, Take a bull calf for your sin offering and a ram for your burnt offering, born without defect, and present them before the Lord. Then say to the Israelites, Take a male goat for a sin offering, a calf and a lamb, both a year old and without defect for a burnt offering, and an ox and a ram for a fellowship offering to sacrifice before the Lord, together with a grain offering mixed with olive oil. For today the Lord will appear to you. Then they took, the things, they took the things Moses commanded to the front of the tent of meeting, and the entire assembly came near and stood before the Lord. Then Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded you to do so that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. The people watched as Aaron and his sons offered sacrifices for themselves and for the people to make atonement for them. So we know that a part of this public worship service was about, in a sense, confession and repentance of sin. But even before they begin, Moses speaks to the people in verse 6. He's speaking, I believe, to the people, saying, this is what the Lord has commanded you to do so that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. Obedience is somehow tied to the glory of God. Did the glory of God appear to them? Let's jump down to verses 22 through 24. Then Aaron lifted his hands toward the people and blessed them. And having sacrificed the sin offering, the burnt offering, and the fellowship offering, he stepped down. Moses and Aaron then went into the tent of meeting, and when they came out, they blessed the people, and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat portions on the altar, and when all the people saw it, they shouted for joy and fell face down. Yes, God's glory appeared to all the people, no longer just to Moses or to Aaron, but to all the people. What did they see? They saw a fire coming from the Lord's presence that consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. And their response? They shouted joyfully and fell face down. Why? Because they realized that God wanted relationship with them. All their lives, that what they knew of God was fearful and they couldn't stand near Him and couldn't be in His presence. and now they saw that God had accepted their priest, their sacrifices, and that He desired relationship with them. They understood it in a maybe a way that we don't get today at times. They understood and delighted in the fact that God wanted to appear to them. So corporately as a congregation, publicly accountable to others, order in worship led by their priests, this was God's plan. He values corporate public worship. Because you see, I think there are things about the glory of God that we do not see or understand as well as when we're gathered together corporately worshiping him in spirit and in truth. C.S. Lewis tells a story about two of the men he used to live uh, meet with on a regular basis. And together, they would wrestle with issues and think through doctrines and theology and philosophical thinking. And the three of them spurred each other on to think more and more. One of them, um, I believe, developed cancer, some kind of uh, life-threatening disease, and died. And in the time that C.S. Lewis knew that one of those three, three of his best, the other two being two of his best friends, during that time, he realized that his friend would die. In thinking through that, he thought, oh, well, at least I'll have time to get to know this other friend better. You know, I will miss this friend, but at least I'll have this time to know him in a much better way, in a fuller view. And so their friend died, and he and the other friend continued to meet. But C.S. Lewis says it wasn't as he thought. He said, I did know the other friend better, but there was a part of him I no longer knew because the third friend added a dimension to their relationship that it showed him more of what the other friend was like. The other friend added a difference to all their relationships. And y'all, I think corporate worship does that to us. You know, when you came today, there are things, questions you had, thoughts you had. And didn't someone in your group have something they saw in Scripture that enlightened or gave you a new thought or a new process? Don't you feel like you learn about God in this group? in a different way together corporately when you come to church and you hear a sermon or you hear a sunday school teacher don't you get tidbits don't you know god better and see more of his glory as we're together corporate worship does that there's a part of god that we understand in a different way maybe even more fully god's glory is expressed in corporate public worship How do we see God's glory today? 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. 2 Corinthians 4.6 says, His light in our hearts gives us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. So for us today, part of seeing God's glory is looking at, the scripture says, in the face of Christ. And where do we see what Christ, look, what he looks like? We see it largely in his, we see it mostly in his word. We see that, we see what he's like as we study. We find out what he looks like. And, but there's a sense also from this other Second Corinthians passage That by the power of the Spirit sanctifying us, making us more like Christ, we're being made into his image from one bit of glory to another. But there is a sense in which, as I see you corporately, I hear and see what God is doing in you. I see more of God's glory as well in you as bodies of believers as you are growing in the Lord too. This is all part of of probably the reason that God stresses how important corporate worship is for us. Because we might just get a clear glimmer of God's glory as we gather together. The second takeaway I'm taking from this passage is that God expects his people to obey his commands completely. And boy, chapter 10 was a clear picture of that. So we're gonna look at the first three verses. But before we do... Did you notice how many times that the phrase, as the Lord commanded, was used? I counted 15 times or something similar. This is just in chapters 8 through 10. God is serious about doing just as he commanded. From the beginning of Leviticus, we've seen numerous commands that the Lord gave Moses. And they were detailed and specific, and he expected his people to obey Many of those commands, we can see the the symbolism. Some we're going to look at in weeks ahead make sense to us because they're morally or physically good for us. But some of the commands, like today's to put blood on the right earlobe and the thumb and the toe, those don't seem very sensible. But you know what? That may be the point. True obedience comes when things don't always make sense in our human understanding and we obey God anyway. I had a wiser woman give me some advice when I had young children. And she said to me, there are times that you need to give your children a command that really is inconsequential. It's not a big deal. But you need to occasionally give them no reason and simply give them a command, which they need to be in the habit of learning to obey. Because the day will come when you won't have time to explain a command. Duck! When that football is flying through the air and about to hit them. Or, watch out! There's a car approaching and they don't see it. Or, run! That cart is flying across Target parking lot and is about to hit them. They need to be prepared for the day when they won't understand but need to obey anyway. And I think the same is true of us. Perhaps the blood on the earlobe is just one of God's points, but if it's not, the principle is the same. There are times that we will not understand why God tells us to obey. It may not make sense to us, but true obedience learns to obey even if it doesn't make sense. The Israelites saw God's glory appear to all the people after their leaders obeyed his commands. But there's a phrase in chapter 10, which is the opposite. Contrary to his command, it says. And with that disobedience came severe consequences. That's, now let's look at chapter 10, verses 1 through 3. Because the principle we're going to look at is the third one. Not just does God value public corporate worship, Not just does he expect complete obedience from his people, but he holds his leaders to greater accountability. Let's read one through three. Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, took their censers, put fire in them, and added incense. And they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, contrary to his command. So fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Moses then said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke of when he said, among those who approach me, I will be proved holy. In the sight of all the people, I will be honored. All right, what's the big deal? I mean, these guys have just been consecrated to God as priests, which, by the way, was not their idea anyway. They didn't pick this occupation. God said, you guys are going to be my leaders. You guys are going to be my priests. And they had obeyed all the commands over these past eight days. You know, they've been ceremonially, ceremonially cleaned by Moses and robed by him. And they've offered sacrifices for the people. And they helped Aaron with the other offerings. And literally, this day, they have been ordained. The same day. We know this from chapter 19, where Aaron says, Today... They sacrificed their sin offering and their burnt offering before the Lord. So the very same day that this uh, first worship service is happening, this incident happened. It looks to me at first glance like Nadab and Abihu are doing something really spiritual. I mean, taking their censures, putting fire in it, adding incense. It kind of sounds like what they're supposed to be doing. So what was the problem? We need to look a little closer to understand. Verse 1 obviously says they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, contrary to his commands. So we know that God expects complete obedience from his children, and apparently they didn't. So that one's pretty obvious. But chapter 16, verses 1 and 2 tell us a bit more. So if you'll turn to Leviticus 16, 1 and 2, and we'll read together what it says. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron who died when they approached the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron that he is not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover on the ark or else he will die. For I will appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. And the beginning of verse 3 says, this is how Aaron is to enter the most holy place. And God goes on to explain that. This chapter, by the way that God speaks to Moses, um, right after the death of his sons, apparently, or afterwards, anyway, he explains, he gives us a hint of some of the problem with Nadab and Abihu. He, by implication, we see there that God specifies Maybe what they did. We know they brought unauthorized fire. We know that. So um, chapter 17 tells a little bit more about to Aaron about where, where you get the coals and what you're supposed to put in your censer and what kind of incense. We'll look at that later on in the study. But apparently they, it appears they took some fire from wherever they wanted. But this chapter might, this verses six, chapter 16, 1 and 2 seem to tell us the maybe the two most important problems with Aaron's son's choice. They chose to go into the most holy place. They wanted to enter God's presence behind that veil, the most holy place, apparently, because of what God says to Aaron. And they had not been instructed to do that. In fact, God says the opposite. That was not done but once a year. And um we also see in chapter 4, we're told that they were there too. If you read verse 4, you might have missed it. But in verse 4, Moses summons their cousins, the two Nadab and Abihu's cousins, and says, hey, go, go get their corpses because they're in front of the sanctuary. They're in front right there at the, at the point of the most holy place. So there the sons were consumed. Their other problem, not only were they going someplace that God had not instructed them to go, but they were coming when they chose to. Remember, God says in this verse, um, you're not to enter the most holy place whenever you choose. And then Moses explains to Aaron in in verse 3 that God says, among those who approach me, I will be proved holy. I will be. I do not let my holiness be a light thing. If you're gonna approach me, you're gonna do it before a holy God. So in other words, those who serve him closely are to hold a high, holy view of him, not just in our words, but in our actions. The very same fire that God sent to consume the altar and the, um, the offerings and, eat and burn up the fat That caused the people to fall down joyfully, rejoicing, is the same fire that we see God send on Nadab and Abihu that consumed them. God's, the glory of God, once seen as joyous worship, in this point, we see God in strict judgment because God holds his leaders to greater accountability. Three important takeaways God values public worship. God expects his people to obey him completely. And God holds his leaders to greater accountability. But Carol, you may say, we're in the New Testament now. This is Old Testament stuff. God didn't expect all the same things as he did back then. I mean, we're not, those aren't really relevant for me. What's in that for me? Okay, let's reason through that. Has God changed the way he thinks about public corporate worship? How about Matthew 18 20, which says, For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst. All right. How about Hebrews 10, 24 and 25? Let us consider how to stimulate one another. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Or when we studied 1 Corinthians 14, when you assemble, each one has a hymn, has a teaching, has a revelation. Not if you assemble, but when you assemble. Okay, and I could go on with other passages, but it seems like God still thinks corporate Public worship is important, doesn't it? For today, in the New Testament era. All right, well, what about the obedience issue? There were lots of rules, and we're under grace. So God doesn't really expect me to worry about a bunch of rules and commands, does he? Hadn't he changed about that? John fourteen fifteen says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. 1 John 2, 3 says, By this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. 1 John 2, 4 and 5 says this. This is a tough one. The one who says, I've come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has been perfected by this we know that we are in him. Okay, sounds like God expects me to keep his commandments even in the New Testament era. John 14:21 He who has my commandments and keeps them he it is who loves me and he who loves me shall be loved by my Father and I will love him and I will disclose myself to him. Does that sound like I will show him my glory. I will appear to him like it talked about back then. I'm not saying that um, if you read this verse of the Bible, God's going to appear to you in your bedroom. I am saying that if you are spending time knowing him, keeping his commands, not just in knowledge, but in truth, in lifestyle, you do know God in a new way. He does reveal himself a little bit more Each little time you learn more of what he's like. Okay, so God does expect us still to keep his commands. But does he still hold his leaders to greater accountability? Does the New Testament have anything to say about that? James 3.1, let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that we shall incur a greater judgment. Just that one verse makes me stand here thinking, oh. okay, how about matthew twelve thirty six I say to you that every careless word that men shall speak they shall render account for it in the day of judgment. for by your words you shall be justified, and by your words you shall be condemned matthew twelve thirty six or how about this in luke twelve forty eight from everyone and from everyone who has been given much much shall be required. And to whom they entrusted much, of him they shall ask all the more. Titus 1 and 1 Timothy 2 both give qualifications for church leaders. And they're pretty significant. Yes, God today still does standards that he has for his leaders. He calls for a greater accountability. So what's in it for me? God values public corporate worship, and I should too. God expects his people to be completely obedient, and since that matters to him, it should matter to me that I choose to be obedient to his commands. God calls his leaders to greater accountability. So if you're a leader, be wise, be cautious. If you're leading... Many, all of you are leading. If you have children, you are leading your children. Some of you have leadership roles at work. Some of you have leadership roles within the church. Be careful that you heed the Lord. You are called to greater accountability. If you don't feel that describes you, great. You have a purpose too. Pray for your leaders. Pray that God will guard them, teach them, correct them, keep them teachable, keep them accountable. These are all things that we can take away because that's what's in it for us. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that your word is relevant even this many years later. And I pray that you will impress on our hearts a desire to please you, our holy God. Give us wisdom. In your name we pray. Amen.